Hello, and welcome to this week's Three Shifts Edition by Six Pages, the source for far-reaching market shifts and what they mean. It's June 25th, 2021. I'm Eric Thompson, and here are the three shifts that you need to know this week. One, China's crypto crackdown is all about control. Two, the buy now, pay later boom picks up steam around the world. And three, the B2B SaaS customers prefer compound startups. Shift one, China's crypto crackdown is all about control. This week, China's central bank, the People's Bank of China (PBOC), instructed some of China's leading financial institutions to cease all activities facilitating cryptocurrency transactions. Those present included some of the largest banks in the world. Industrial and Commercial Bank of China (ICBC), China Construction Bank, Agricultural Bank of China (AgBank), and Postal Savings Bank of China, as well as Alibaba Payments affiliate Alipay. The financial institutions were asked to identify client accounts associated with crypto transactions, including crypto exchanges and OTC over-the-counter merchants, and cut their payment links. The banks, many of which are state-backed, Are generally promising to comply. Most have released notices that any users found in violation would have their accounts terminated and activities reported to authorities. Even Alipay, used by over 1 billion users in China and over 80 million merchants, has said it will use algorithms to flag crypto transactions and restrict violators. The enforcement comes amid a broader crypto crackdown in China over recent months that has included bans shutting down 90% of crypto mining. And widespread arrests of suspected money launderers. The price of Bitcoin has slid nearly 50% from its $65,000 peak in April 2021 to $35,000 as of this recording, a decline heavily driven by China's crackdown. The PBOC's recent order is largely a step up in enforcement rather than new policy. It originally banned financial institutions from facilitating Bitcoin transactions in 2013. Warning that Bitcoin lacked legal status and "quote unquote" real meaning as a currency. In 2017, it banned initial coin offerings (ICOs), fiat to crypto conversion by domestic exchanges, and financial services for ICOs and cryptocurrencies. Then, in 2019, it began blocking access to crypto exchange and ICO websites. More recently, in May 2021. Three industry bodies affirmed that Chinese banks and payment platforms were restricted from providing crypto-related transaction services such as registration, trading, clearing, and settlement. It also barred them from providing crypto savings, trust, or pledging services, or issuing crypto financial products. After the rules instituted in 2017, many of the larger exchanges in China transitioned to crypto-to-crypto only, leaving OTC peer-to-peer transactions. Is the main pathway in China for an on-ramp of fiat currency. Chinese investors are also known to access China-focused offshore exchanges using VPN. The recent PBOC order is viewed by many as targeting the OTC market, which has continued to thrive up until recently. While individuals are not yet barred from holding crypto, it is becoming increasingly hard for them to engage in transactions. Alongside these restrictions, China began stepping up efforts to outlaw crypto mining. A major turning point in a country that recently accounted for 65 to 70 percent of the world's Bitcoin mining. Last month, China's State Council called for a nationwide shutdown of mining operations. China's top crypto mining provinces—Inner Mongolia, Xinjiang, Sichuan, Yunnan, 
in Qinghai have begun to crack down on projects. Sichuan last week ordered the closure of 26 crypto mining projects and ordered electricity providers to shut off power to mining operations. Notably, miners in both Sichuan and Yunnan primarily use hydropower, signaling that the crackdown is broader than just coal-powered operations. Collectively, these regions account for 90% of China's Bitcoin mining capacity. The extent of the crackdown has resulted in a sell-off in mining equipment and plummeting graphics card prices. Earlier this week, world-leading crypto mining equipment provider Bitmain Technologies halted spot deliveries of its Bitcoin mining rigs in hopes of stabilizing their price decline, which has been as much as 75% for top-tier models. Industry watchers expect Bitcoin mining to become more globally distributed as miners leave China. In other markers of China's pushback on crypto, leading crypto exchanges Binance, Hobi, and OKX earlier this month were discovered to be censored by major internet services Weibo, Baidu, Sogu, and Ziyu when searches for the exchanges turned up no results. Weibo also appeared to have disabled popular crypto accounts on its social platform. Separately this month, Chinese authorities arrested over 1,100 individuals from over 170 criminal groups in 23 regions suspected of using cryptocurrency for money laundering. China's stated goals, likely true but not the full story, are to curb the risks of speculation and volatility, and to reduce energy consumption and environmental impact from crypto mining. The energy inefficiency of Bitcoin is well documented, and China has long been the top Bitcoin mining country. At this writing, Bitcoin consumes the power equivalent of Argentina, the country with the 30th highest level of energy consumption in the world. Each transaction consumes the equivalent of 57 days' worth of energy by a U.S. household. As proof-of-work blockchains like Bitcoin grow in members and ledger data, they consume even more energy. However, while some industry watchers are pointing to China's pledge to go carbon neutral by 2060 as a key rationale, the fact that two of the provinces where mining is being outlawed primarily use hydropower suggests broader concerns. The general view is that this crackdown is largely about control. Widespread adoption of decentralized cryptocurrencies is a threat to China's monetary sovereignty, surveillance state, and socioeconomic stability. The threat of crypto is one of the reasons why China has been leading the charge on national digital currencies with its digital yuan. Regulators have also been skeptical about the value of mining to the real economy. Blockchain has long taken a back seat among China's technology priorities, only recently making it into the five year plan. In short, from China's perspective, Decentralized cryptocurrencies are just more trouble than they're worth. To read more content related to cryptocurrencies and national digital currencies, check out our May 21st, 2021, Three Shifts edition, Ethereum Seeks Energy Efficiency by Shifting from Proof-of-Work to Proof-of-Stake. In our March 6th, 2020 brief, Digital Yuan, eKrona, and Other National Digital Currencies. Shift 2. The Buy Now, Pay Later boom picks up steam around the world. Buy Now, Pay Later, or BNPL, an alternative to traditional credit cards that lets consumers pay for online and in-store purchases and installments, accounted for $24 billion in U.S. spending in 2020, growing 78% and reaching an all-time high. BNPL is expected to be a $695 billion industry by 2025. Klarna of Sweden, Afterpay Clearpay of Australia, and a firm of the U.S., are the biggest players in today's BNPL space, which is typically digital, low friction for consumers, paid up front to merchants, 
available for small and large purchases, and usually at zero interest, especially for short-term credit. Today's BNPL can also be direct-to-consumer or in partnership with retailers. BNPL is soaring to new heights as startups raise new financing and consumer adoption picks up globally. In just this month alone, June 2021, Swedish fintech Klarna picked up $639 million at a $46 billion valuation to fuel its rapid global expansion. Indonesian player Credivo raised $100 million in debt financing to serve its market of 10 million consumers. UK-based white-label BNPL platform DeVito raised $30 million to expand to more markets. Shopping app Nate raised $38 million to expand its BNPL and payment products. And Caffeine raised $14 million to offer BNPL to subprime consumers. BNPL is popular outside the U.S. It accounted for just 2% of U.S. e-commerce transactions in 2020, compared to 7% in Europe, 23% in Sweden, which is home to Klarna, and 10% in Australia. This is in no small part due to regional players Klarna in Europe and Afterpay in Australia. Klarna, now Europe's most valuable private fintech, is the clear global market leader in BNPL, which processed volume of $53 billion in 2020 versus projections of $16 billion for Afterpay and $8 billion for a firm. It has over 90 million users and over 2 million transactions a day across 20 markets, with over 250,000 merchant partners, including IKEA, Nike, and Samsung. It is seeing strong momentum and rapid growth in the U.S. It has partnered with 24 of the top 100 U.S. retailers, and its current 18 million-plus U.S. users is up 118% year-over-year. Australia-based Afterpay focuses on the quote-unquote couple-hundred-dollar purchase. In the U.S., it works with 23,000 retailers and typically processes 10-30% to of transactions for its partners. It saw a 211% year-over-year increase in volume in its latest quarter. U.S.-based Affirm, in turn, has 30% of transactions originating from its own properties like its mobile app. Peloton is its largest partner, accounting for nearly one-third of Affirm's business in 2020. In an effort to diversify its merchant base, Affirm partnered with Shopify in July 2020, with Shopify taking a stake, to streamline integration of its BNPL services into Shopify's merchant sites. In its most recent quarter, Affirm reported doubling its number of merchant partners over the prior year to 12,000 partners. While all three of the BNPL leaders are growing rapidly, growth does come at a cost. None of them are profitable right now. Southeast Asia, SEA, is rapidly becoming a major battleground for BNPL. One of the fastest-growing internet economies with 40 million users coming online in 2020, SEA is particularly ripe for BNPL given the number of underbanked consumers. An estimated 73% lack traditional bank accounts. Widely used super apps like Gojek and Grab are well-positioned to integrate their BNPL offerings into a seamless experience that can pre-qualify consumers based on data collected about their daily habits and offer BNPL as an option on small-dollar purchases, for example, ride-hailing, food delivery, and groceries. Other SEA BNPL players include Razor of Singapore, Hula of Singapore, Atomi of Singapore, Plantina of the Philippines, Cashalo, a Philippine subsidiary of Oriente, and Akulaku of Indonesia. In large part, BNPL players are competing against the multi-trillion dollar credit card industry. Much of their growth is riding upon the spending habits and preferences of younger generations who are more averse to using high-interest credit cards and prefer the convenience and transparency of digital transactions. In countries like Indonesia, 
BNPL can also help underbanked urban millennials build credit without credit cards. For merchants, the case for BNPL's steeper 25 to 4% processing fees is about fewer abandoned shopping carts in larger orders. PayPal, for instance, reports that merchants using BNPL see a 39% lift in average order value, while DeVito claims a 20 to 40% lift. The largely unregulated BNPL industry is seeing some pushback from regulators. Earlier this year, the UK announced that BNPL firms would be supervised by the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA. Policymakers in Singapore are also sounding alarms about BNPL. Regulators are concerned about insufficient disclosures, consumers taking on more debt than they can handle, excessive interest charges and fees, unjustified reports to credit bureaus, and outright fraud. According to Credit Karma, almost 40% of U.S. consumers using BNPL missed the payment and 72% of them saw a negative impact to their credit. There is a long tail of BNPL projects by established players and startups. The most notable of the long-established players is PayPal, which launched Pay in 4 in August 2020, did over $1 billion in volume in Q1 2021, and is on track to surpass a firm. Credit card companies are also working to offer BNPL or other features that let customers turn purchases into payment plans, including Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Chase. Amazon also launched Pay Later in India in mid-2020. Startups include QuadPay Zip, which merged into a $1 billion-plus alliance last year, Australia-based Sezzle, which is currently planning on a U.S. IPO, Zilch, which raised $80 million in April 2021 for its MasterCard-based BNPL payment card, Splitit, which raised $72 million last year for its card-based installment plans, Uplift, for airline tickets and travel purchases, WiseTac, which helps in-person businesses and verticals like home and repair offer BNPL to their customers, and raised $19 million in February 2021, UK-based BNPL shopping app Butter, which raised $22 million in March 2021, Lunar, a Nordic challenger bank launching BNPL, ScalaPay, an Italy-based BNPL startup that raised $48 million in January 2021, Laybuy of New Zealand, Alma of France, and Nello of Mexico. BNPL for B2B purchases is also getting hot, though arguably this is just another name for trade credit. A firm B2B spinout Resolve raised $60 million in May 2021 and is reporting quote-unquote overwhelming demand for its B2B services. Norway-based B2B player Tillit also raised the $3 million seed round from Sequoia in February 2021. To read more content related to super apps and financial services, check out our April 16th, 2021 Three Shifts edition, Southeast Asia's super app giants head to the public markets. In our July 15th, 2020 brief, who will be the next set of big tech firms? Shift 3. Do B2B SaaS customers prefer compound startups? The concept of the quote-unquote compound startup, companies that offer a set of closely integrated tools and a consolidated system, is gaining traction in the world of B2B SaaS and the investor community. Its biggest advocate is Parker Conrad, former CEO of Zenefits and current CEO of Rippling, which last year raised $145 million at a $1.4 billion valuation for its all-in-one platform bringing together payroll benefits, HR, and IT under one umbrella. In contrast to narrow point solutions with limited interoperability, the Compound Startup seeks to solve multiple problems in a seamlessly interoperable product that is best in class across its offering portfolio. 
The concept is grounded in the idea that B2B SaaS is maturing and that startups increasingly have to solve broader business problems. In other words, compound startup advocates believe the well of problems that focused point solutions can effectively solve in a differentiated way is drying up. Earlier this month, Rippling saw competitor Gusto acquire tax compliance startup Ardius to broaden its own system. Gusto's acquisition, which will help it automate tax compliance for its business customers, particularly around R&D credits, neatly fits the compound startup mold. Gusto began in SMB payroll services and has since expanded to become a quote-unquote all-in-one people platform, offering health insurance, benefits, employee onboarding, workers' comp, time tracking, and other HR functions. As a result, it has rich payroll documentation data for employees in its system of record, while Ardius was built to take payroll data and convert it into verifiable tax documents. The capabilities and data of Ardius and Gusto fit together and enhance the value of Gusto's platform. Stripe has also been on a tear in launching new integrated services. Its acquisition of TaxJar, which earlier this month was launched as Stripe Tax, is another example. As Stripe expands to new markets around the world, TaxJar will help Stripe automate the calculation of sales taxes and reporting across a wide array of geographies. The acquisition enables a more seamless integration that lets Stripe customers quote-unquote turn on sales tax automation. Stripe TaxJar's previous partnership required a more manual and complex integration. Stripe Tax is part of Stripe's growing suite of business services, including Stripe Radar for fraud prevention and Stripe Billing for subscription management, as well as recent forays into B2B financial services such as Stripe Capital for lending, Stripe Issuing for card issuance, and Stripe Treasury for commercial banking. The growing completeness of platforms like Stripe, last valued at $95 billion, and Gusto is making their platforms stickier. Assuming that the solutions under the all-in-one umbrella adequately address customer needs, a big if, it becomes easier for customers to buy into a service where interoperability across the suite is already built in. Even if customers don't need the full suite, the breadth of services can serve as insurance against future needs. The premium on integration here flies in the face of conventional wisdom for startups to focus. Part of the energy behind the concept of compound startups is the capital sloshing around in the market for large funding rounds. When capital is available, startups have more resources and latitude to invest on multiple fronts simultaneously. For investors, there's also potential value in the greater diversity of exposure, offering more opportunities for one function of a compound startup to break away as a quote-unquote killer app. Depending on the arena, however, there's always that open question as to whether the big tech firms or other large incumbents will get there first. It may be the type of customer that is the deciding factor. SMBs may be best served by low-friction, vertical-focused compound startups, while corporate behemoths will continue to rely on big tech like Microsoft. In some ways, the compound startup for B2B SaaS has parallels with the consumer super app strategy. The answer could be the same for both, that we won't see too many more global big tech firms but we will and are already seeing the rise of a new class of powerful regional and vertical-focused compound firms. To read more content related to Stripe and integrated tech platform features, check out our December 11th, 2020 Three Shifts edition, Stripe and the Broader Shakeup in Banking Services. In our April 9th, 2021 Three Shifts edition, social platforms embed new payments capabilities. That's it for this week's Three Shifts edition. If you'd like to read more content and you're not already subscribed, head to sixpages.com to sign up for free summaries of our deeply researched briefs and the three shifts edition straight to your inbox. 
Keep an eye out for our upcoming brief on the right to repair. And talk to you again on next week's Three Shifts Edition.